The Sport Industry Access Podcast, episode 118. How important is youth leadership in sport? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to interview a special guest who is a sports expert in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports development. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Mark Mungle. Mark is a physical educator, author and co-founder of the Caribbean Sport and Development Agency. With over 20 years of experience in the sports industry where he specialises in youth leadership and sports development, I have to say it's great to have Mark as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Mark will share his sports career journey and explain to you the importance of youth leadership in sport. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Uh, Wow. Okay. Well, good to to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Um, I guess you can say that my sport career started in earnest when when I joined the teaching service. That was back in 1986. And uh, back then, although teachers were responsible for teaching all subjects, um, this is at the elementary school level, when you got into the teacher's college to complete your teacher's diploma, you had to choose a a subject specialization, and I chose physical education. So coming out of that, I I taught in physical education. I taught in uh, the elementary school system for a few years, but continued pursuing my studies in that, in education, and specifically in physical education. And then sometime later, I moved on to teach at a, at a high school um, and then to lecture at the teacher's college, focusing on physical education and specifically teacher education. So phys ed, teacher ed, as we refer to it here. It was at the teacher's college that um, I mobilized a few of my students to start well, what, what we now know as a CSDA. Back then we called it the TASPI, the Trinidad and Tobago Alliance for Sport and Physical Education. And that was mainly in an effort to, to raise the status of phys ed. That was uh, 2002. And in 2003, I took a sabbatical from that. That was at the teacher's college. I took no pay leave to get fully immersed in this nonprofit sector. Um, and the organization grew really quickly. We started with just four volunteers. Um, then we moved to four, five, five, six full-time staff and eventually to 17 full-time staff. And by uh, 2004, 2005, we had expanded our work to 12 of the Caribbean countries strengthened partnerships with uh, key international agencies, including UNICEF, the Aussie Sports Commission, UK Sport, Commonwealth Games Association of Canada, the International Alliance for Youth Sport, and a bunch of government departments across the region. So in earnest, I think all really started back in 86 when I joined the teaching service. I'm absolutely blown away. Just really quickly, I'm going to go back in time. What inspired you to be a teacher? 
Oh well, it has well. The the reality was uh, that back in back in eight, in the eighties, after I left um, secondary school, straight out of secondary school, I just you, the system then was that you could join the service uh, as an assistant teacher. So back then, I joined the teaching service as a as just an assistant teacher and kind of went with the the trend of uh, after a year or two in the service as an assistant teacher, you have the opportunity for to do a two year diploma and kind of that kind of went um, on its own. But the, the phys ed specific and the sports specific thing, I think, was kind of inspired well by two things. One was my dad. Uh, he was a sport enthusiast. He was an active member of a sports club, more like recreational sports. So he played cricket, he played tennis, he played volleyball. And, and my siblings, my brothers in particular, and myself, we tag along with that to, to cricket practice or tennis after school and on weekends. We Our main job was ball retrieving. So we'd be running around at the boundary or, or, or just tossing back balls or on the tennis court, we would be doing the, the, the Wimbledon run across the court to pick up balls, you know, so... But dad also played volleyball at a national level. He played for a national team. And, and eventually he served as a national men's coach and a national women's coach and eventually as president of the National Federation too. So so we always had sports equipment at home, bats, balls, tennis rackets, and lots of volleyballs. As, as children, we used the volleyballs for everything. We used them to play football, to play basketball and, and volleyball too. And even though we, we did not have fancy facilities, we, we enjoyed playing a really wide range of sport from an early age at home and in our yard and the street and uh, mainly because of the opportunities that dad provided. He, he kind of encouraged us to play, but he never really forced us. He was not one of those parents who were into formal training and all of that. So although around around the 80s, early 80s, we got together, a couple of my brother, one of my brothers and a couple of friends from the street really, and we started a volleyball team. And dad did give us some coaching. He didn't have a lot of patience with us, but he did give us a couple of coaching sessions. He never got involved with the team in any official way. We were on our own. Um, so that, that was definitely one key inspiration, that home environment. And and the other was um, the high school that I went to. This is Presentation College in San Fernando. At, at, at prayers, as we refer to it, we had a lot of opportunities to participate in, again, a wide range of uh, different school-based activities. But key was that all were led by other students, and I lapped it all up. I joined the gymnastics team, the scout troop, I played football, cricket, volleyball, badminton, table tennis, anything that was on offer, I tried, and I thoroughly enjoyed And In fact, I still enjoy recreational sport with the a lot of the guys from that high school uh, age group. So we're all in our 50s now, but we still think we're back in school and would play football as if we're back on our school team. So yeah, I think both uh, my home environment and, and the school environment provided really kind of positive sport experiences that I thoroughly enjoyed and I think certainly influenced my career in this sector. Honestly, I find this really interesting because I'm going to pick up this subject now because when we, whenever we think about school sport now, we always think about children going to the elite end how important is it for children just to participate in sport for fun? Uh, that's one of the lessons that I learned uh, particularly, well, both in the home environment and, and at, at the high school. Um, in both cases, you know, we this was like a regular daily routine after school. We're back at home. If we're back at home, we're on the street with a bunch of guys and we'd actually play organized, well, organized by ourselves, young, young people getting together, organized street football, street cricket, um, and serious sport. I mean, we were serious about what we were doing. Um, even organized games against other groups of friends from around the communities and so on. 
And the school environment was pretty much the same. Uh, there was a lot of opportunity for low organized sport. And, and that, the key was that we didn't have to choose a particular one. Now, if you wanted to go on to represent the school football team or the school's cricket team, and you had that opportunity as well. In fact, there were lots of those opportunities. But in, in addition to that, everybody had the chance to play sport at a recreational level, both informally as well as part of organized inter-class events, inter-house events, and so on. So that, that was, luckily for me, I think, um, growing up in, in that high school environment and that home and community environment, we had a lot of opportunities to play a lot of sports without that um, uh, heavy structure of rigid training and competition that's very... Um, well, exclusive to those who can play and then, and then those who have an interest and all of that. And um, and even when I play, I played football for my school team at age group level on the 14, on the 16, and when you make it to what we would call the championship team, which is like the senior team, um, what you would, like, well, I, we call them here six formers, the, the six, 17-year-old boys, some 18. To make it to that team was a big deal. But throughout my time on that team and I, I went to every single practice I never missed practice I worked hard but I spent more time on the bench than on the field and in a way you know you feel really happy that you were able to put on the uniform but warming bench is not is not you know the, it's not what we in it for and um, and thankfully now that I'm no longer locked into that system you know that I can enjoy playing that playing sport um, at a pretty decent level recreationally informal and well not so formal settings now just out of interest honestly i find this really interesting now with my next question from your experience of participating in sport how did that transfer into being a pe teacher can you remember any transferable skills that helped you from playing sport to then teaching physical activity i'm not sure but you know one of my colleagues who is also a physical education teacher and just by the way i'm no longer in that education sector but one of my colleagues who we were students together at uh, Teachers College, and, and uh, he always remarked to me that, uh, that I was really good at the practical stuff. So because I had that exposure, that early exposure to a wide range of sports, I was a pretty good um, jack-of-all-trades kind of thing. So I, was, uh, I had a good handle on a wide range of the sports. And I think that helped, um, uh, you know, when, you have, when, you, when you're in the physical education context and teaching skills to children is always a good it's always good when when the teacher has a handle on the content, as we say, right? So if you if you're a content expert, that is to say that you know the basics of all of a wide variety of sports, from the gymnastics to the the uh, football and cricket and basketball. If you've actually played those and you have a good handle on it, it helps. Um, you, the students see right through you when you can't do it too. So if you're trying to teach a student uh, gymnastics or basketball and you yourself are low skilled. It shows and it impacts on them. Think about how many mathematics teachers you know that can't do multiplication or long division. And so it's one of the things that uh, is one of the weaknesses, I think, of our field as well, that um, is the reality, too, of the sports sector. You know, how many people can really have a good handle on such a wide range of um, disciplines from track and field to gymnastics and dance to um, net sports and racket sports uh, it's challenging and I think luckily for me I, I, because of those early childhood experiences because the, all of the equipment was available at home and we interacted with them early on and I, I think that's one of the things that the studies show too you know those it's not just early experiences but it's early positive experiences in the sports sector so when you're in an environment that facilitates a positive experience that I enjoyed so th I didn't see this as, as hard work you know I, I look at 
uh, the young swimmers in particular that have to get up at four in the morning to hit the pool before they go to school. And, and I wonder if they're really enjoying this, but their parents are driving them to do it. And at the expense of not exposing them to a bunch of other fun things, including not just sports, but in, you know, and whatever else. And so I think, yeah, we need to think about that. But I think, yeah, I think those early positive childhood experiences, both at home and in, in school, certainly would have added value to the, the, um, my teaching uh, career, physical education teaching career. Yeah, man. Just looking at sport as a bigger picture now, how have you seen the sports industry develop from the last 10 years from your experience? Well, well, I think the last even 20 years, I think we've seen a tremendous growth in the industry. And one of the things, and particularly in the context of, of the work that you do in terms of providing career opportunities for young people, is that it's opened up a whole bunch of new subsectors within the within the sport industry. So, you know, when you when I, I think as a as a, a youngster thinking about careers in physical education and sport, you're thinking about coaching, uh, teaching, sports management, maybe sports journalism. You know, it, it was kind of a narrow field. No, man, you have so many bloody sub disciplines that uh, students can can uh, choose and, and that's one of the great things because you know, I, I, I think we, we may have had this conversation offline, but um, when we think about career paths as well for, in that sports sector, certainly here in the in the in Trinidad and I think in the Caribbean, where we offer at uh, what you would call O level, what we call uh, CSEC, so that's the 15 year old, 16 year olds, their end of five years at high school, they would choose, uh, they would do an exam, and we now have well, it's been around for about 10 years now. Uh, exam in physical education so that one of the choices they have is physical education and at, at what you'd call a level we, we call the Caribbean advanced proficiency exam keep they also have the option to choose uh, physical education as a subject and um, the challenge is that we often only push the students who are athletically inclined to pursue studies in that field sadly because the reality is one we're really doing a disservice to those who are athletically inclined, suggesting that they can't pursue studies in some other field, in medicine or law or anything else. And two, we're really narrowing the option for students who may not be athletically inclined by not giving them an opportunity to pursue one of the fantastic um, career pathways in sport and technology. I mean, it's, it's just really unlimited now, the things that you can do in that sports sector. Um, it's only limited to... Well, uh, it's just, it's really not actually, not limited at all. So I think, yeah, I think that that's one of the things over the last two decades is that the sports sector has, as a multi-billion dollar sector, has really opened up a, a range of new career options for people who may not be athletically inclined, people who are interested in law or in technology or in all of those very, very fine sciences, refined sciences that are now their own um, sub-discipline that uh yeah that add value to this amazing sector that we call sport absolutely and just going back to today's podcast topic now how important relating to what you've just said is youth leadership in sport yeah i think um that that whole issue of youth leadership is the overarching issue really is about is that to a large extent we don't actively facilitate the development of leadership among young people in general. So there's no, we talked about subject areas, there's no dedicated subject area on the school curriculum at, at, at secondary school or high school that deals specifically with leadership. And so to a large extent, we leave that leadership development to happen automatically 
or in best case scenarios, we leave it up to the organizations that have some leadership elements embedded in their core program. So um, scouting, for example, is a good example. And so some schools may have scouting attached to the school, but it's not part of the core curriculum. And, um, and we talk about the value of, of these activities to develop leadership. And particularly we talk about in this con- conversation we have in here, we talk about the, the power of sport and the, the capacity of sport to develop leadership. In fact, we talk about the power of sport to develop anything and everything. And um, from poverty reduction to conflict resolution, national unity. And yes, for building leadership, the question is, are we doing anything deliberate to ensure that these outcomes actually occur. Sometimes I I think we convince ourselves that sport is is so powerful that we only need to talk about it and the magic will happen. And, And the real reality, the reality is that it is powerful. Sport is absolutely powerful. But playing sport does not automatically generate those positive outcomes, including leadership that we talk about. So sport has power. But that power could be equally used for good as it could be used for evil. That's the reality of sport. And we've all witnessed the conflicts, the violence, the substance abuse, the discrimination, the child abuse. It's all there. So, so yeah, it's powerful. And we can harness that power to achieve positive outcomes. But only if and when we design specific programs to, to so do. And leadership is a core part of that process. So, Sports leaders are the ones who facilitate the powerful outcome, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly. It's it's the leaders that facilitate that outcome. So we, I think we have an individual and and collective responsibility to ensure that the future sports leaders are equipped not only with the leadership skills, but also with the right values so that they're making the best decisions, but decisions that also lead to, to positive outcomes. Out of interest, was that reasoning inspired you to write a book about leadership? Well, definitely connected, and this, this this book actually came out of um, of work that we'd been doing, but based on our belief system. So even when I was at the teachers' college, uh, on this, I, I remember being introduced to a model that you may be familiar familiar with. It's called the uh, sport education model, um, uh, developed by a guy called Seedon Top, Darius Seedon Top. In fact, I thought he was an Aussie when I first uh, was first introduced to it because he, the, the work was being done on behalf of the Aussies and I was introduced to the work by the Aussies. This is about 16, 17 years ago. I only learned about that by Stephen Top is actually an American guy and I only learned about him while reading his work later on. I actually had a chance to meet him as well. But um, that model that he developed, um, sport, uh, the sport education model, is, is it, it struck me as such a powerful model, not just for the delivery of physical education curriculum, but the concepts and the principles that he captured there kind of, for me, fit perfectly into a life, a kind of life model around leadership that was authentic. And that was a key part of it. So the model is not just about leadership and teaching leadership. It is about engaging the young participants, the young people in leadership as an active part of what they do. And, and so, for example, where, you know, oftentimes when we think about leadership, we think about the team captains or we think about the star boy or the star girl on a team or somebody who speaks a lot and so they're good in front of audiences and all of that and that's all well and good. And so in a in a school structure or even a club structure, we may set it up so that we have, you know, young people who serve in positions and we so we say we are developing leadership. But the reality is we're doing everything for them. 
we may give them the opportunity to say, okay, you get to toss the coin and, and, and shake hands, so you are the, or you get to carry the flag. And that's, that's kind of token leadership. And that has value too, right? But I think uh, the leadership that we think about um, in the context of the book that I wrote and, and, and a lot of what Darius C. top influenced as well is leadership that's authentic, that gives the young people power. So we are empowering them to make decisions as a key part. So they get to choose. Because if I am telling you, okay, you are the captain, if you win the toss, we bat first. Well, what's your role? You, your skill set is how to toss a coin. In fact, you don't even toss the coin. You just get to see heads or tails. You know? I mean, what was, is that leadership? So leadership uh, must entail that power, if you wish, to make decisions. And then we equip you with the tools so you make the best decisions. And, and of course, a lot of other things as well. And I think that that model that Seedentop developed, the sport ed model, we took that and we played with it. We spent a lot of time thinking through it and then created a model for ourselves that is based on this uh, idea of developing young people through sport, developing the skills that they need for leadership. They learn those skills, they practice those skills, and then they apply those skills over a period of time. And they're transferable skills. So even though we're developing these skills within the sports setting, because it's such an authentic, powerful setting, um, those skills can be transferred to other dimensions of their lives as well. But yeah, that that certainly was part of the inspiration for writing the book. Would you mind explaining to listeners what the book's called and uh, like the core topics? You've explained a, a great deal just then, just to give the listeners an oversight of that book, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So but just to go back a little bit, so the book captures a lot of the work that we, and I say we, I mean the CSDA, that's the Caribbean Sport and Development Agency. That's work that we've been doing over the last maybe 16 years. And that worked to a large extent designing programs, but then we train teachers and coaches to facilitate that youth leadership. So we head off to one of the islands, we do a workshop with a group of teachers or coaches or community volunteers. And then you leave feeling that you've made an impact on the lives of the participants. But that's just really like about 20 individuals. And we've often challenged ourselves to scale up our efforts. But the reality is that there's only one Mark and one Andre. Andre is one of my uh, colleagues, one of the co-founders of the organization. We could only be in one place at any given time. So writing the book provided a reference. It kind of institutionalized the content. So now it's not just Mark or Andre facilitating a workshop. It's now a body of knowledge that's recorded for all time. So now anyone, anywhere in the world can benefit from the knowledge and the experience that we've captured in the book. And it's not just our knowledge and experience, it's experiences of those who we've interacted with over the years. And the idea is that as a result of the publication, more people will have access to the, the shared information. And as a result, more young people will benefit from the leadership lessons captured in the book. And it starts with a, a, a kind of some overarching philosophies, if you wish, um, kind of like our theory of change model that we've captured in, a, in our own simplistic way because we're not real academics. We're kind of more pseudo-academics. We, we, we kind of prefer to be referred to as practitioners because, yeah, we, we're less theorists. But we, we, still, we still connect a little bit of the theory to the practice, right? And so we've captured some overarching things about, um, uh, about the model, about learning, about learning experiences, about young people, etc. And so that front part of the book deals with that. And then we go into some very specific, what we refer to as leadership skills. And those leadership skills include some of the traditional things that you'd see in other leadership books, but then some things that really are generated from our own thinking and our own uh, thought processing that we would, done, would have done over the years. And I, I deliberately say that thinking and that 
that thought processing because that's how we generate ideas. That's how we improve things. And, and that's what we spend a lot of time trying to figure out rather than just borrowing from other material and regurgitating. And so in it, you'd see uh, skills and how to develop those, how we define them and how we develop them. Skills like initiative, using initiative for me is like a critical leadership skill, um, adapting, being resourceful, um, communicating, of course, uh, working with teams or that team building idea. And, um, and one of the, one of the, one that we've learned over the years, getting things done. So if you're a leader and you have all of these skills, but nothing's happening at the end of the day, you're not doing anything and uh, you don't need to do anything, but you certainly need to get things done and how you do that. So the book captures, uh, I think about 10 or 12 of those where we, we describe them as leadership skills and kind of gives a, a general understanding but also kind of provokes the, the reader and the readers that we're targeting there are those who work with young people. Kind of gets them thinking, provokes them to think on their own as well. So this is not a step-by-step -step saying, do this, do that, do this, do that, and it's done. This is, hey, you have value. You, have been, you are an outstanding coach or youth leader in your community. Um, what, what can you bring to the table based on this idea that I just shared with you? Um, and so we, we challenge them to reflect and think about their own practice and what they may have been doing because the reality is there are amazing coaches and people, teachers and persons working in the field that have been doing some amazing things, but they haven't captured it. They haven't written the book. We've, we're teasing them with some of the things that we've been doing, but we're also challenging them to, hey, start thinking, thinking, thinking a little more deeply about some of the things that you've been doing because you've already been doing it, but you could probably do it better and it could probably lead to a better young leader emerging if you added this or if you gave it a little more thought. And so that's so the book also invites you to reflect on your own practice as well. Mark, you are blowing me away. And I really do hope the listeners are enjoying listening to you because this is such an important subject, not just in the teaching environment, but if you're teaching anybody in any environment. Out of interest, what have you been up to recently? Oh, man. I, it's been a crazy world. Um, uh, we, I mentioned to you that we had 17 full-time staff a few years ago. We made some tough decisions because my my job changed from doing the things I love to do to running on money because I had to find money to pay that recurrent expenditure for 17 full-time staff. It's, and you have to put on the lights in the office. And, and that's not what I wanted to do. And so over a period of the last three or four years, we've moved away from that full-time staffing to now just uh, engaging when necessary. I work a lot from home. If we have a project that requires two or three of the team, we get, get them together. It's a project based, uh, they on. If those who are available, we run that, they paid for that. And that makes my life much, much easier. So we're still doing some of that, uh, uh, that work right now. We are actively involved in a project that's uh, delivering a community health and fitness leadership program, but it's not young people. It's for women, but women in, three very difficult communities on the outskirts of the capital here in Trinidad. So that's, a, that's a, an ongoing project we just started. And I just back a few weeks ago from the Beyond Sport uh, United Summit in New York. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was, that was awesome. I had the opportunity to participate in their 10 round tables, which brought together leaders from the sector to, to think. And I like that idea. We sat in close, we were literally shoulder to shoulder around a table, just thinking through ideas. Uh, it was fantastic. And, um, and I had an opportunity to speak at the conference as well around the, the idea of young people taking up that leadership role 
in support of our efforts to make sports safer for children, which as you may know, I'm, I'm heavily involved in that work around safeguarding and protection of children globally. And I've been doing a little consulting on the side, uh, recently completed an assessment of schools, physical activity status here in Trinidad on behalf of the IDB. So I do a little bit of that consulting as well that puts a little food on the table. Um, and um, of course, I've been getting a bit of golf as well in between all of that. <laughs> important, important balance, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Mark, just on a personal note, what have you enjoyed from your career journey looking back right now? Well, I, I honestly, I, mean, I feel really fortunate to have had the opportunity to pursue a career that, that I thoroughly enjoy. And I think there's nothing more enjoyable for me than meeting people from all over the world, interacting with them in their local environments, being immersed in their culture and from South Africa to Brazil, Spain, India, Switzerland, and right here in the Caribbean, building meaningful relationships with people that and relationships that are uniquely powerful and that's kind of almost part of the ethos of this amazing thing that we call sport, you know, the relationships that we develop in sport. I don't know, it's just really amazing. And it's um, kind of really, this this sport environment for me has just been so, it's multifaceted, yet there's this common language that just transcends everything. And, and I think it's what made it so enjoyable for me, man. Mark, you just highlighted a really important point there. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university students who want to pursue a career in sports? Yeah, at that university level, and I have kids who just just one still and two just completed. And for me, the most important thing at university level, I think, is the immerse yourself in the moment. Don't stay on the periphery, man. Get involved. Jump in. Just like I jumped in, I did every freaking thing that I could do. I just wanted to be involved and enjoy all that the university has to offer. But keep your head on your shoulder as well. And and as far as careers in that you know specific sport industry go, I, I recommend to young people to consider starting off with areas that you're strong in. So, you know that you're going to enjoy them. You know that you'll be successful at. Um, you could always change, and that's the good thing. You, you know, you, you start off with something, but you could always change. But I say, start with that low-hanging fruit. You know there's something you can do well, because I want you to be successful early on. I say success breeds success. Um, and choose, so choose essentially things that you enjoy and that you're good at. But really important, don't settle for mediocrity. So also challenge yourself, even if it's something that you're good at. I want you to master that content. You have to be the expert in the field. I want you to read more. I want you to discuss more, have more conversations. And as I shared earlier, more importantly, think more. You don't just want to be regurgitators of knowledge. You don't want to be just a certified sport professional. Everybody can get the tick box certificate. You want to be a thought leader in your field, the one who creates the new knowledge that others will one day read and learn about. Yeah, that was my advice. Mark, that is fantastic. I really, really do hope the people listening into that take that on board, because I certainly have. How can people interact with you online? Oh, you know, I'm a kind of antisocial guy. I prefer to meet on the field, right? <laughs> on the golf course, you know. But uh, So um, I, I, know, I don't have a Facebook page, but you can get our, you, We have a, a, a website, the Caribbean Sport and Dev, so that's www.caribbeansportanddev.org. And the, the organization has a Facebook page, so it's facebook.com slash csda.org. I do have a, a blog spot, so that's youthsportleadership.blogspot.com. I need to write some more. Um, and I, I, I maintain my Twitter account, and every 
three months, I'd post something on Twitter. You know, the, the hashtag, the what you call it, handle is mmongrel, and I'm alive on LinkedIn as well. And um, you can get me directly uh, at mmongrel at gmail.com. Feel free to drop me a line, man. Happy to interact, build new relationships. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Ed. I appreciate the opportunity. What a fantastic podcast chat to kickstart season four. Without a doubt, Mark has really taught me something from this podcast chat that sport can be perceived in so many different perspectives. And without a doubt, leadership is an area which we sometimes forget in sport. We look at sport as a business, we look at sports, elite athletes, we look at sport with regards to all the different companies. But leadership, if you think about it outside the box, has a huge component with regards to how things get done. And without a doubt, having youth leadership is such a powerful way for even students, including yourself, if you're listening in, even at university, but even at the youth level, is a fantastic way to express yourself through the use of sport. But from a career perspective now, I really do hope you took on board what he said about emerging yourself when you're at university and really go with your strengths and really master something in an area of the sports industry because that is how you're going to elevate yourself in the sports industry and that is how you are going to really make a real influence to the sports industry moving forward. So really take that on board, hustle hard and go for it. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Mark said, when starting a career in sports, consider areas you are strong at because you know you're going to enjoy it and be successful at it. You can always change, but just remember success breeds success. <laughs>